John 16 16 to 33 a little while you and me will not see me you will not let me start again a little while and you will not see me again and again a little while you will see me because I go to the father then some of his disciples said amongst themselves what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I go to the father they said therefore what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he's saying now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them are you, are you inquiring amongst yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy a woman when she is in labour has sorrow because her hour has come but as soon as, she, as soon as she has given birth to the child she no longer remembers the anguish for, that, for the joy that a human being has been born into the world therefore you now you now have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you and in that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly I say to you whatever you ask me whatever you ask the father in my name he will give to you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full these things I have spoken to you in figurative language but the time is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figurative language but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask my name and I and do I not say that do I not say to you that I shall pray the Father to you for you? For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and I go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world Father Lord just um, I want to thank you for your word today Lord I want to thank you for the Sabbath I want to thank you for the fellowship Lord and just the ability to come and, and, and sharpen each other Lord so um, as we've made um, the op- if we made time to come to you today Lord I just pray that you meet us at our individual places Lord that the word the, the very malleable word able to meet us in all of our individual situations Lord and I just pray for PT Lord that as he, as he ministers to us that, that we don't come here and leave the same as we came Lord we just yeah. leave forever changed and willing to, to go to our various places families works and, and really just be a light to the world Lord in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Thank you, Tinder. That was beautiful. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, hi. Uh, yes, are you all burnt out from the wedding or something? Uh, okay. <clears throat> Notice in the first handful of verses, Jesus is going to, well, John's going to record the word a little while. Do you see that term? Can you just say that? Just say a little while. Try it. Notice in verse 16 he says, and again in a little while you will see me. 
A little while you won't see me, a little while then you will. Then they ask, what is this, a little while you won't, and then a little while you will? Then in verse 18, therefore, they said to themselves, what is this little while? And then Jesus says in verse 19, well, are you inquiring among yourselves about this little while I won't, and then a little while I will? And then he goes into it. Now that's, if you think about it, that actually, as we look at it here, that means it's seven times in four verses, this term, a little while. Yay! A little while. Okay, now, here's the point, what Jesus is doing. Now, please don't miss this. Jesus is talking to a group of people who have left everything to follow him. They have put all their eggs in his basket. That was it. And up to this point, he's been very, very, very present. He has come between him and the religious leaders that have been on many occasions trying to trap the disciples with what they know or think they know, trying to trap them in something. And Jesus is always stepping in the way and answering for them, not allowing them to actually get into trouble, which is nice. But he's doing all of this in full knowledge of the fact that Zechariah promises, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He knows that every one of them are going to bail on him tonight. He knows that when it comes down to it, every one of them are fully convinced they would stand with him. In other words, there is no problem with the strength of their resolve. But there is a whole lot of problem with the strength of their follow-through. They, could, they couldn't mean it more. And when Peter says, I am willing to die for you tonight, I don't doubt for a moment Peter believed that. But what's the problem here is that Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. Unique to the Gospel of John are these chapters, starting in verse chapter 13, where it begins, and flip there so you can see I'm not making this up. Like always, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority on this. Notice it starts with this idea that it says, Jesus knowing that he was going to the Father. And so what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. And then he calls out the traitor, sends Judas away, and then calls out Peter in his heroic declaration of faithfulness. I'm willing to die for you tonight. And Jesus says, really? I'm sure you believe it, but I know better. Tonight before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me on three occasions. Could you imagine somebody that claims to love you denying that you've ever met Chapter 14 starts with, and look at that, let not your heart be troubled. Now don't miss the fact it's in the singular tense because Jesus has just been speaking to Peter. Remember that. He's been telling him, you're going to fall and fall hard tonight, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't you find that a strange thing for Jesus to say? He says, you trust God, you believe in God, you put your trust in the Father. Now, Peter, I need you to trust me. Because I'm going to go now myself. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then when I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you and bring you back there. That where I am, you'll be also. And of course, they start debating among themselves. Nobody ever seems to be asking Jesus the answers to these things 
Did you notice that? There are certain words for pray and seek. The word that is used in our text is a word that means to seek, to inquire. A very important word in context of what's happening. Jesus will say something and they'll all kind of look and nod like they get it. And then they'll turn around to each other and go, what in the world was that about? He's going. He's going, I'm going to the Father. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you there. And then I'm going to come back and get you. And I'm going to take you there. You guys know the way there. And they're like, well, we have no idea how to get there. Because you don't have to worry. Didn't I just say I was going to come and get you? I'm the way there. You won't have to worry about that. And as Jesus continues to walk through this, look at 14 verse 23. He goes, I want you to know that even though I'm leaving... I'm still going to manifest myself uniquely to you guys. And they're like, how in the world are you going to manifest yourself to us? How are you going to show yourself to us and not to everyone else? You know what he says? Look, if you're willing to trust me, he says, you know what will happen? The Father and I will come and make our home in you. Did you notice that in verse 23? That's how. In 14.28, notice he says, You know, if you loved me, you wouldn't be so worked up by the fact that I say I'm going back to the Father. But I am going back to the Father. They know where he's going. He's already told them and it's been clear. He's reiterated it on three occasions. Yet look at chapter 16, verse 1. It says, you know what though? I'm telling you this so that you won't stumble. Do you see that? I don't want you guys falling into a trap here. And he goes, I want to warn you, you're going to be hated. You're probably aware of the fact it doesn't matter who you are, someone's going to hate you. Have you noticed that? If you're breathing, someone's going to hate you for it. And if you're not breathing, someone's going to hate you for that. If you lean one side or the other, the other side's going to have a problem with you. If you stay in the middle, both sides will have a problem with you because you're indefinitive. Now, Jesus says, I'm not telling you go make people hate you. I'm just letting you know the price of following me, people are going to hate you for it. But let's be honest. Any choice you make with conviction is going to create opposition. Any choice you make with conviction will incur opposition. No matter what you've chosen to do. If you're like, I've chosen to be mediocre, well then someone's going to have a problem with you. If you're a Christian and you've chosen to be mediocre, I'm going to have a problem with you. If you've chosen to be part on for something, those that are less on will have a problem with you. But if you choose to be full-on, you will have full-on opposition. And he goes, I'm warning you ahead of time. He goes, they're going to be kicking you out of the religious organizations and they think they're serving God by killing you. That's how bad this religious thing is going to get to people who are genuinely following Jesus. Now, in Israel to this day, I don't know if you're aware of this, if you tell people you're a Christian, they ask which kind. Now, they don't have 15 different opportunities or like they don't have all these categories like they might in Germany when your child is born and they ask what gender, here's 26 choices. I'm like, how? I don't even, I would, you know, it's like, it's like tea. Some pe- I think people don't order tea anymore a lot of times because, you know, they say, I'd like a tea, right? I'd like a tea. Give, give me a cup of... And, you, and they're like, well, which one? Well, what do you have? And they're like, well, we have these 16 green ones, and then this is flown in from Madagascar, and we have these 16 white ones. They're like, white tea? And by the time you're done, you're so overwhelmed, you're like, just give me a coffee, right? You know? And they're, and they're like, what do you want in it? Well, at least I know it's just going to be coffee. Well, and the reason I say that is it's like so overwhelming, but... 
but in Israel, they just say there's basically two choices. You're either a regular Christian or you're a believing Christian. I'm like, wait a minute, so the regular Christian isn't a believing Christian? I go, what does that mean to you practically? And they're like, well, the, the regular Christian's the one who kind of dresses. The, the, as a Christian, this is the way you dress. And that's basically, and they hang out among themselves. But a believing Christian, they're dangerous people because they're trying to convert people. I'm like, well, then you need to know I am without a doubt a believing Christian and I am definitely here to convert you. And it's amazing. I've gotten hugs from people because they're like, at least you're honest. I'm like, how can I not be honest? If you went into a doctor's office and if you imagine he's like, well, I'm not really sure if I want to heal you. You're like, well, then leave. But a Christian that actually has the cure for all of mankind's ilks, if you will, how could we claim to love people and not want to do that? So Jesus is looking at these people and he knows that there is a radical change in the dynamic among them for a moment here. Now, I'm going to teach you two things. I'm going to teach you a Greek phrase and a Hebrew phrase today. So you guys are going to feel really international, if you will. But the the Hebrews first. There are only four words. The first word. And now, I need you to say it like with passion. Katsat. Try katsat. Katsat means little. Po, like Kung Fu Panda. Po. So, Kitsat Po. Try that. Beautiful. Now, Ma'od, like you have a hiccup in there. Ma'od. Sham. Here's the phrase. Kitsat Po, Ma'od Sham. Try it. Kitsat Po, Ma'od Sham. Try it again. Kitsat Po, Ma'od Sham. One more time. Kitsat means little, Po means here. Ma'od means more, sham means there. So it's a little here, a lot there. This is a traditional teaching phrase among uh, traditional Hebraic learners. And the idea is simple, that throughout Scripture, there are things that are fulfilled in a very little way in front of you, but they tell tale of something that will be much grander later. For instance, if you look at Hitler's story, where he tried to wipe out all of the Jewish people, you know, he, they say, well, is he the Antichrist? Well, he certainly is an Antichrist. There's no doubt about it. I would say, he was this horrible person, but he'll be nothing compared to the guy that we see in Scripture that will be showing up. He'll be bigger, badder, worser. And I know that word's not a right word. But I'm saying that, you know, I'm American, I can do that. But the idea of it is he will be the worst. Now, the reason I say that is Jesus is playing with them. And here's the idea. Don't miss this. He's looking at these guys and he's going, up to this point, you have seen me very clearly. I've been in front of you. You can smell me. You could bump into me. You know, you'll hear my voice. You'll hear me when I eat. You know, and it's, you know these, these are very big and obvious things. He goes, but that's not always going to be the case here. You guys are going to run into a situation soon for a small period of time where you're not going to see me at all and you're just going to think you're never going to see me again. Here's the crazy part. To, to, to make it worse, the last time you see me before that, for many of you, is when you are fleeing at my arrest. Now, not all of you. Some of you will wind up at, my, at the cross, like, for instance, John, we're well aware of, Peter, but who's going to deny that he even knew him, that's going to be worse. In other words, imagine your last memory with me before I leave is a really, really rough one. And you are about to go face-to-face. So you, here's the deal. You're not going to see me face-to-face for a little bit, but you're going to be face-to-face with yourself, and you're going to hate what you see. You're going to see somebody so much weaker 
than the guy you thought you were. I want to warn you on that. But you're going to see me again. But in that interim, it is going to be a horrible, horrible time for you. I want to warn you. Does that make sense? Now, in the end of it all, let me sort of salt the meat before we cook it here. What they experience in that area between Jesus' death and resurrection is what we experience as Christians daily in this sense. We know Jesus lived and was face-to-face and tangible and touchable to a group of people, but he has since ascended to the Father. But he's gone there to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back and get us. And we will again see him face-to-face. What Jesus, what those disciples experienced in that small, tiny period of time, well, is what we experience daily as we await for his return. Does that make sense? Here's the problem. The interim is the hard part. And that's why it is imperative for me to teach you the Greek part a little while. Now, again, I remind you, a little while, verse 16, and again a little while. Verse 17, what does he mean? A little while, and then again a little while. Verse 18, well, what is this? He says, a little while. Verse 19, what I said, a little while, and then again a little while. Obviously, he's obviously pointing that point. You ready? Now, remember, that's the whole phrase for a little here, a lot there, or more there, right? You ready for the whole phrase of a little while? You ready for this? Mikron. Try that. Mikron. It's the entire, it's a single word for a little while. Nimikron, micron, is the term we get micro from. It means tiny. Understand that what Jesus says is a, a tiny and then again a tiny. And they're like, what in the world is he a tiny and then again a little tiny? Jesus goes, you guys ask him about what I said about this tiny and a little again tiny? And they're like, yeah, yeah, what's the deal? And he goes, well, let me explain tiny and then again tiny. And here's the point of all of this. Is that, For us, the experience we're about to have in this hardship that we have on this earth is radically different from the rest of the world out there because we have what they don't, which is a hope of his return, a hope to see him again. Here's the problem in all of that. Is that a little while, in that little while, there is weeping, he tells us here. In that little while, there is lamenting. In that little while, there is pressure and there is burdens and there is weight. And let's just be honest, no weeping or lamenting or or pressure or weight ever, ever feels like a little while. And there's our problem. And I realize that. It's amazing how great moments that could take the whole day up feel like mere seconds. But that moment that broke your heart, you can still feel the pain for. And here it is. And we carry that like baggage and we carry it like weight. And please hear me. Jesus isn't talking to the world here. Jesus is talking to a select group of people who are freaking out because they've seen Jesus and he's been very, very, very real to them. But now for the first time, he just doesn't seem as tangible and as clear as he was before. And I got to ask myself as I look at this, Would I freak out on those moments where, for whatever reason, Jesus just doesn't seem as tangible and as obvious in front of me like he has been at other times? Do I freak out? 
And I say, on those moments when Jesus seems the least tangible in front of me, always seem to be the moments of the greatest pain. Now, I can't say that it's Jesus leaves, because he never leaves. He's always with me, and nothing can separate me from his love. It's often that the pain becomes so real, it's hard for me to see beyond it, to see him there. Now, I can take my fist, and I can walk outside. And this is one of those rare days where I can actually use this as an example. And I can hold it up to the sun. And I can block out my side of the entire sun. I can't block out its effects. They are all around me whether I like it or not. But I can hold my fist up and not see the sun proper. But that does not make my fist bigger than the sun. It just means it's so much closer to me I'm having a problem seeing past it. And there are problems you're going to face and there are problems I'm going to face that when I embrace them and I stare at them, they seem so gargantuan that God looks almost small on the other side of it because I can't see past it. And every time from this point forward, I'd like to challenge you when there is pain and when there is suffering and when there is burdens and when it's weight and you feel the pressure, just say, Mikran. Because like it or not, 180 verses in the scripture say this, and it came to pass. 180 verses tell you, and one way or another, it came to pass. Now, here is the issue as we kind of get into this and understand there are some things we need to develop, but I could stop right here and we could just spend the rest of the time meditating on that, and we should. And that is, that when we're in this situation, we forget that it is a little while, but please understand, for a Christian, this is as bad as it gets. This is it. All of your suffering, all of your pain, all of your grief, all of your lamenting, all of your woeing, all of the pressure you feel, all of the, the gravity of whatever life has thrown at you is, sooner or later you're going to be face to face with Jesus. And when you are face to face with Jesus, that stuff gets left behind. And you will never have to deal with it again. This is as bad as it gets for you, believer. But if you don't know Jesus, this is as good as it gets. And it shouldn't surprise me why a person who doesn't know the Lord spends their entire life either trying to not end it, trying to do whatever they can to extend it, trying to do whatever they can to save the world, or trying to do whatever they can to intoxicate themselves so they don't have to think about the fact that this is coming to an end someday. If the only place that you were cool is at the board of Monopoly, and you, as long as you played the game Monopoly, you would be really, really cool, you wouldn't want the game to end. You'd be lending out money to everybody to keep playing because as long as you're there, you're all right. But sooner or later, that money doesn't spend anywhere else. Those hotels are not to be lived in. They're little plastic pieces. But as long as you're in the game for a while, you feel like you're doing all right until you have to get up and live real life. And like it or not, the life we live right now is a board game. It is, it is here and we play it on the field of this world, but it's not eternity. And to that I say, hallelujah. 
But Jesus has never lied and told us this was going to be easy. And he never lied and tried to give us some kind of easy sell and said, you know what, you know, your life's a little, you just need a little bit more money and a little bit more health. And I tell you what, just say yes to me and I'll be your butler. Jesus never did any of that. Notice this chapter ends with, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Jesus didn't say it's a possibility or it's an elective course. He says, every human being is going to have tribulation. And that includes you. When Jesus talks about the people who build their houses and every human being builds a house, like it or not, it's just what you build it on. And you'll either build it on the sand or you'll build it on the rock. One way or the other, the storms are going to come. That was not a variable. And the flood is going to rise. That's not a variable. And the winds are going to beat on the house. That is not a variable. And understand the difference is not whether the storms come. The difference is what happens to the house. You see, the reason why, one of the reasons why the Lord's going to allow these hardships in your life is because the world needs to see a house stand when it happens. And if you're the one house that stands when it happens, people are going to start asking why. But imagine if your life is this. And we'll get into this now in the text. We'll walk fairly quickly now. Jesus relates it to the one thing that Scripture tells us refers to Jesus' second coming, and that is a woman in childbirth. But imagine having to suffer all of the pressures and pains of childbirth and then have a baby taken away from you right at the end of it. And that that would be the story of your life. Grieving and pain and pushing for nothing. Grieving and pushing and pain for nothing. If you don't know Jesus, I know that's your story. I didn't come to Christ till I was 19 and that was my story. And the worst part is, the world would tell you that I got all kinds of things. But it was nothing. It never made me happy. It never gave me joy. Jesus says, you're going to see me, but only for a little while. And then you won't see me for a little while. And then you're going to see me again. And notice what they do. And it's imperative to get context on this. They look at each other and they start asking. That word ask is the same word that Jesus... By the way, that's another word that's going to become very key in this for what it's worth. It'll be used eight times in this section, this term ask. And it's the term that is used for prayer later on, by the way. When he says, don't think that I'll just pray to the Father. You can do it yourself. Throughout this section, Jesus has said something and they go, hey, what, what did he mean by that? Right? And you know what will happen is... There's bound to be one guy, I mean, what are the odds that one of the guys among the eleven is going to come up with an answer? Oh yeah, well, clearly. He probably means this. And after a couple of those answers, if they seem fairly decent, he becomes the expert. He's the go-to. Oh, Andrew, we need to talk to Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, what's he mean by that? Here's the most amazing part. The one person they're not talking to is Jesus. And Jesus kind of keeps looking at them and he's going, you know, Notice in this, by the way, for what it's worth, we have this tendency to run to the tangible. So you're reading a scripture and you don't get it. So where's the first place you go? You call someone. Now look, at, I'm not against receiving a call because you're not getting a text. But you can guarantee, be guaranteed that I'm going to ask first, have you prayed about it? Walked it for a while and asked the Lord again. 
Because if you don't do that, your whole life will be, sooner or later, you get to this point where you're like, well, I'll never understand unless someone teaches me. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch said in Acts 8. And it was a testimony of failure among the church, or in that case, among Judaism. But notice, by the way, Jesus instigates this question because we're too embarrassed to ask, and he knows that. It's like, you're not getting this, are you? This whole little while thing. Well then, let me tell you, here's what it looks like. Look at verse 20. Most assuredly, amen, amen, I say to you this. This is what that time is going to look like. You're going to weep. The word there is the word klayo. It means to sob, wail aloud. There's the word dakru. Dakru, by the way, means to shed tears. It's like one of those things, like I would imagine Dan cries, you know, because everything Dan does is sort of understated. Well, that's not true. Almost everything Dan does. When he talks about loving his mother, for whatever reason, it's a lot more animated. But, you know, but I would imagine if Dan was crying, you'd just probably just kind of, one tear would sort of drip down his beard, that kind of thing. Uh, by God's grace, I've never seen that, and hopefully I'm not embarrassing him enough to see it now. But the point is, is that that would be the word that cruel, but it's not the word that Jesus uses here. It, the word that he's using here is it is to beat your breast and to sob it is to have your eyes wide open and things are flying out of it at this point there's a very big difference and this is the word Jesus says I want to let you know this is what's going to happen to you you guys are going to wail and then the word lament and the word lament here by the way for what it's worth uh, it literally means to openly wail it means that at this point you are so overcome by grief you don't care how much noise you're making. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had this kind of experience at all? You can't have this kind of experience without something you deeply love leaving you. This is not terms that you use when you're in pain. Now, let's be honest. Some people, I've learned, hyperventilate when they're in pain. Some people do cry. Some people actually laugh. I'm a laugher, for what it's worth. I think every time I've broken a bone, I just laugh, which that's just the way I react. It isn't like, ha, 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 I laugh at pain. It's just my natural reaction to it for whatever reason. But the reason I say that is, is that no matter how badly, and I've broken a few ribs and all kinds of really fun things, I was told I would never walk again. I've never had this, I've never heard this or seen this among anybody that's in that kind of pain, except when it actually hits your heart. A point where you don't even care how together or untogether you are in front of other people, and everything just kind of collapses on you. I would never want Jesus to sit me down and tell me these terms. How about you? But let's make it worse. When you're doing this, not everybody's going to be doing this. As a matter of fact, when you're doing this, the rest of the world is going to be doing the opposite. Look at what he says. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, and that word is lepeho, and lepeho means to grieve, to be distressed. And he goes, but here's the difference. Your sorrow is going to turn to joy. There's the difference. Le peumos ganesetai. Now, forgive me for going so much into the language, but it just, to me, deepens my understanding of this text. The word for turned into, ganesetai, 
is where we get the word genesis from it. We get the word generation from it. We get the word genealogy from it. The term means to birth. And I'd like you to see the difference because that's exactly what Jesus is about to teach us beyond that. The difference is not going to be the absence of grieving. The difference is going to be the end of your grieving. What he tells us is you are going to bewail. You are going to sob and wail aloud. You are going to distress and grieve, but all of that will give birth to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow. That's that same word, Lupe, because her hour has come. Heaviness, sorrow. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish, the affliction, sleepsies. Now we have a new mother here. You can ask her. Now understand, Jesus is not saying from this point forth you'll never remember it. Because certainly you can wake up the next day and have altered. But there is a specific magical moment my wife was in labor. It's great that she's sick today. I shouldn't say it that way, but it's like, because I can say these things and she's not here to be horrified by the fact I'm telling you. My wife's a perfect pastor's wife in a million ways, but here's one of them. We had a Wednesday night Bible study at our house. We had just said amen. Everybody was starting to disperse and her water broke. She waited till the end of the study. I know it wasn't her choice, but it was just perfect. Off we went to the hospital. Suzanne went into hard labor about midnight. And at 6 a.m., our oldest girl was born. We had paid this guy a phenomenal amount of money to basically make sure that Chante was going to be okay. But he was a decent guy in a lot of ways. And one of the things that happened is as soon as Chante crowned, he just rolled. He was on one of those little rolling stools and he rolled away and he said, She's all yours. Shantae was nine pounds. She was an ounce away from nine pounds. That's a bowling ball. Had torn everything on her way out. And she was born sunny side up. Does anyone know what that means? That means she came head first, but face up. So in other words, from where I am, she was like... Her face was the first thing that I saw, and it was like alien. And I had, after staying awake all night with my wife, who, by the way, only screamed once and then apologized. I'm like, you're having a baby. I was just concerned she was going to be like, I hate you. I never loved you. I wish I had, you know, that. as you hear those horrible stories, you know. And the woman in the next room was having like Rosemary's baby. She was like, Bleh! it was crazy. The noises coming out of there. And I was wondering when that was going to start happening. My wife was like, ah, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, you're sorry. And this, this face came at me. And I had, by this point, completely lost perspective. And she was, in my mind at this moment, gigantic. And I'm sure she was even more so to my wife. And then he's like, but she has my shoulders. She has those broad shoulders. Like, I now pull her out. And I'm like taking this, this lizard thing. And I'm pulling her out of my wife. What a bizarre moment. 
and I'm, she's gooey, and I mean, the, the stuff that no one ever shows you on television, right? Like the baby comes out, and oh, look, he's washed and clean and everything, and not blotchy. Shantae was born jaundiced, but that means she looked tan, and, uh, and she just kind of came out, and I held her, and for that moment, and I'm dripping in goo and all that stuff and all that, and I'm looking, and she opens her eyes, and she looks at me, and nothing else mattered. At that moment, the entire universe stopped. And it was like, that moment changed everything for me. Sadly enough, the next moment was sadness. Because my first thought is, my dad never really got this. He never got this moment. This moment where he held someone and went, wow, am I thankful you're in the world. But then my next moment, all I could think about is, I would do anything for you. I would do anything. And at that moment, the father said, you're going to welcome to the journey, son. My heavenly father said, you're going to learn a father's love now. And from that point on, I've told you guys more than once, I don't love you enough to let my kid die for you. I love you enough to, to die for you, potentially. I mean, in Peter's complete confidence, I would say, yeah, that just that totally that resonates with me, but I would never throw my kid under a bus for you. Even in her worst moments. When maybe her mother would... No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. But I remember, and I can't... To be honest, then I looked up at my wife, and she was more beautiful than she was on her wedding day. And it wasn't because she wasn't good looking on her wedding day. We've got lots of pictures to prove that. But at that particular moment, when they put Shantae in her arms, that moment the universe stood still for her. And it was like her panting and her disgruntled breathing and all the stuff that came with kind of what was going on. And she was, she was a mess physically, my wife. But when she held that girl in her arms... Her breathing came. It changed. Everything changed like that. But it was the moment that they locked eyes and they were face to face. Now there was no doubt a great deal of pain and anguish. And even after that, she would have to have some corrective things done. So it wasn't like she wouldn't for, that she'd permanently forget all of the anguish she went through. She would be reminded through some of these things. But that moment when she saw face to face... Because, you know, at that moment, you forget all about all that anguish. Cause in, and at that moment, you'd be like, I'd have a hundred more of these if it meant this. Now, I want you to realize that there was a moment, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, your Father held you. Quick story to pull into this. You're aware that our second daughter is adopted. My wife did not give birth to her. If so, there would have been quite a scandal somewhere in there. She's a little Chinese girl. But after over a year of paying unbelievable amounts of money, having our house inspected by a handful of different agencies to make sure we were capable of all of this and all of the things that we had to do, the tremendous amount of bureaucracy and red tape, we wound up dropping everything to fly to Nanjiang in the center of China and they're going to bring our little girl in 
And, my, and we were worried. How could we love her as much as we do our youngest? Could we love her like that? Well, if the, this is the Lord's will, He's the one who gave us the love for the first girl. He certainly can with the second. And my wife, who's the reader, you know, she's the one, she's like, I just want to warn you. Girls connect with girls. And since my oldest was a daddy's girl, I was totally cool with that. I'd love the, you know, I'd love, and she's like, and I just want you to know, it'll probably be that she'll connect with me first, and then her older sister, then her sister, and then after that, maybe give her six months, nine months, and then, you know, you'll be. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm way cool with that. Let's work into this relationship. I'm fine with that. She's 13 uh, months old. And they bring in this little girl. So I'm like doing what a dad would do at a moment like that. I've got a camera in one hand and a video camera in the other, right? I'm just going to be... And as I... And, and, on, and Suzanne and Shante are there and they bring in... Shante's six at this point. And they bring in this girl and she's carried in the arms of a nurse. And as she sort of carries her in and the girls are there like going, ah, standing over there. I'm like... You know, they have to walk past me to get to the girls. They're facing them. I'm on the side here. And I'm like just holding these things. And as they carry in Ruthie, Ruthie does one of these. And I could just see my wife go, are you kidding me? In fairness, I think she just saw my nose and she had never seen anything that large in her life. Uh, in China, they don't necessarily grow noses my size. And um, And for the first three days... I couldn't even go to the toilet without taking her with me. She would just cry and cry and cry. It was very strange. But I remember the first time I got to lock eyes with her, the whole world stopped again. The universe stopped and everything was amazing. And when I held her in my arms, and there's this, you are mine, and I love you. And how the Father said, born again, Adopted. I do both, you know. And now you know that joy on both sides. And I think, what an amazing thing. And all the money we spent and the crazy flights and all of the other things that were certainly not like giving birth in the first case, but it was definitely its own set of tribulations and challenges. In all of those cases, I'll be honest, what seemed like forever. You had to get these, the government, this is classic Chinese government because they're communist, you really need to know they're in control. So what would happen is they would send you these flight details and you had like a couple weeks to book your flight from the moment that they said it. It's like you need to drop everything and just go and get your child now or you're never going to get her. So, you know, so what happened is there was this time where my wife would run to the mailbox. She kind of knew this was the season. And she would run to the mailbox every day. And if that wasn't there, she'd have a meltdown. Because every day was like, this could be the day. And then she opens, oh, it's not there. And I would hold her and she would cry. And next day, oh, this could be the day. She'd open another, oh, and she, I'd hold her and she'd cry. And that was a, that was a season. And, and I'll be honest, during that season, if you're a guy in here, let me just say that season seemed like I aged 40 years in that season. And it was about a month or so. But I look back now and it really just seems like a second. Because it's just one blip of memory in my chip, if that makes sense. And had I really taken to heart what this scripture says, I would have said, you know what, this is going to be a micron. It doesn't feel like a micron right now, but it does. 
But the great part about this is all of this ends with joy. The, all of this weight and all of this pressure and all of these challenges and all that we're spending and all the ways that it's inconvenienced or whatever it is, in the end of it all, it's kind of, this whole thing is going to come to pass and all of that season ends, but we get the kid for the rest of our lives. Now, I don't know what you're going through and I don't know the challenges that beset you. But I want to warn you that in this case, even when you sob and you grieve because these things are challenging you, I would still say we don't have it bad as the boys he's speaking to. Because in this case, when you are wailing and you are beating your breast and you are sobbing and distressing like these guys are, chances are you don't have an awful lot of people or the rest of the world gathering around and celebrating it. And that's what he says. You're going to grieve and you're going to lament, but the world is going to party over this. Well, what are they partying over? The very same thing. Don't miss this. They're celebrating over the same thing that grieves you, which is you don't see Jesus like you used to. The churches aren't as full. The praise isn't as hearty. This morning, a waiter came to our table, Dan and mine, he hadn't been there yet, and he asked, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm awesome. And it freaked him out so much that he blurted the first thing that came to his mind, which apparently is my Savior's name. We couldn't have said it to a better guy, right? So, and, and he said it with complete disdain, like he was mocking me. And I'm like, funny you should say that. And my saying that enough he hightailed it back in because we were sitting outside. And from that point on, it was, and Dan can testify, he was, he, before that point he may have been disdainful, but now he was awkward. There was a mother and her, and her daughter sitting next to me over here. Daughter who had to be six or seven. And somewhere in that conversation, the daughter has something that caused their distress or whatever, and she blurts out the name of the Lord, which she... I don't know whether she had ever heard it before, but she certainly picked up on the... And it wasn't like, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Now, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I hate that stuff. I hate the fact that there are people out there that use my Savior's name, not claiming to believe in Him, but somehow towed it like it can be something. Nobody stubs their toe and yells, Buddha. But the world says, the less I can see of this Jesus, the more I'll celebrate. And I'd say, the less I see of Jesus, the more I grieve. Like Lot, who was vexed in his spirit over Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, they're going to rejoice. But let me tell you, here's the difference. The rejoicing is just at the monopoly table, and they are going to have to get up. And when they do... It's over, and there ain't going back. Your sorrow will give birth to joy. And in that, no grieving you experience will ever be for naught. No grieving you experience will ever be for naught. Paul tells us that we grieve with hope. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And that's the same guy that would tell us his light sufferings, his light afflictions, in which, by the way, included getting whipped and being shipwrecked thrice and being stoned once to death. And you're like, yeah, you know, my, my, my inconveniences. Man, what he would think if we were to tell him our situations, he'd be like, you're making an amputation from a paper cut. Listen to this. Chapter, or Psalm 30, verse 5. God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Now you're aware that the morning is the beginning of a whole day. You will have a time of weeping. But it doesn't end that way. And those who sow in tears will reap in joy, and the harvest is always greater than the labor. One twenty Psalm one twenty six five. For Daniel, that suffering gave him revelation. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that suffering revealed Christ. For Joseph, that suffering elevated him to a place of becoming Savior to many people. For Peter, it would be refinement. For Moses, in the, the wilderness, David fleeing for half his life, it was reinvention. For Samson, it would be repentance, and Jonah as well. For Paul, he would say that all of the suffering he experienced only made him more reliant. So whether it's reliance or repentance or reinvention or revelation, it's all things that God does in suffering to forge someone that looks more like him. Because on that day, you won't have to ask me anything. There'll be no reason to. But I want to remind you, the whole point was not asking him for stuff. The asking he talks about in verse 23 was about answers, not stuff. Remember Jesus said a little while and they look at each other and what in the world is he talking about? And he goes, look, you won't have to ask me anything then because everything will be answered. You won't at that moment go and say, why did I have to lose my grandmother? Why did I have to become homeless? Why did I have to struggle with that person? Why did that person freak out on me? How did I not get that job? How in the world did it, you know, and the questions, because at that moment you'll be holding, you'll be face to face, and in that face to face moment, nothing else is going to matter. This is not Jesus saying, you know, if you just slap in Jesus' name on the end of something, you get a Bentley. He's going, you won't have to ask for more answers because they're all going to be there. It tells us in John, the same guy who writes this in 1 John, that one day we will see him face to face and we will know as we are known for we will see him face to face. Here's the good. Right now I've had to use figurative language because you're not getting any of this and it's pretty clear because you won't even ask me when it happens. But he goes, on those days... You won't have to ask me anything. Then it's just going to become clear and so obvious in front of you. So let me just make it clear. I'm going to the Father, but I am going to come back for you. And with that, they're like, well, at this point, I get, I, okay, we get it. We get it. You're going to heaven. You're going to come back. We get it. And Jesus looks and he goes, all right, well, let me just ask you something in this. And they're like, so look, we, t- we get it. So we believe. We believe you've come forth from God. So we know that's where you're going. And Jesus goes, do you really believe that? Well, you need to know this. You're about to have the biggest crisis and it won't actually be just 
not seeing me, one of the reasons you won't see me is you're going to be face to face with yourself and that's going to be the opposite experience. And you're going to see your weakness and you're going to see how the world really has its claws in you and the lust of the eyes and flesh and pride of life are going to bury its way into you in all of this. And he goes, you need to know this. That in this world, in this world, not forever, in this world, in cosmos, mikron, in this world, it's a little while. In this world, it's a little while. In this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, you're going to be challenged. In this world, you're not going to get what you want. In this world, you're going to be sick. In this world, you may not have the money you want. In this world, you're going to have heartache, and you're going to grieve, and you're going to sob, and you're going to lament. That's not the entirety of this world. There are going to still be moments of great joy and moments... By the way, a joy is supposed to carry you through those things, by the way. Joy is not happiness. But you'll get moments of happiness because things will fall into your pocket. And then there'll be other moments, by the way, where you'll just be like your pockets had holes in them. You know, And you're going to have those moments where those things that you just thought were surefire deals are going to fall out on you. And you're going to look at those things and you're going to go, wow, whatever happened to prosperity doctrine? I think Christ really wants you to prosper. But if you think the best thing he has to offer you is money, you are selling him short. Look at our last verses and let's close this and pray. You guys believe? Verse 32 says, I want you to know the hour is coming and now is. Notice he didn't say the day or the year or the eon. He says it's going to be an hour. It's going to be a very set period of time. And I love the fact Jesus says that because it says, I love the fact he doesn't say, the hour is coming when you're going to bail on me and that will be your last hour. He's like, this is an hour that's going to seem like forever, but it's just a micron. And, the, and the, it's a blip on the radar of eternity. Listen, you're going to scatter. They're going to come for me and you are going to flee like roaches when the light turns on. And each one's going to go his own way. But I want you to know, if I was simply relying on you guys, I'd be in a lot of trouble. But the Father's still going to be here in those moments. And in those moments when you feel abandoned and people bail on you and you feel like nobody's inviting you to the party you wouldn't want to go to anyways and they've kind of, you know, they've done whatever they could to ostracize you, you need to know you're never alone. And Jesus is looking at a group of guys that are like, you're going to flee and you're going to leave me alone in the perspective of your sight, but I'm not going to be alone because the Father's with me. And then I'm going to have to go and be with the Father. And I want you to know when I'm going to be with the Father and prepare a place for you, you're going to think you're alone but you're never going to be alone either because I'm going to be with you remember we're going to make our home with you and in this he goes you need to know when he ends this with this these things I've spoken to you that you might have peace really you're going to bail on me you're going to fail you're going to scatter you're going to run you're going to be face to face with yourself but I'm saying this so you'd have peace don't you love the fact that Jesus' peace doesn't ignore the facts God's peace is not about an, a, a removal of discord. It's about a unity with the one who puts everything in the right place. I'm, I'm here to let you know you are going to have trouble. You're going to feel pressure and that's the word sleep sees as we saw before. And he says, listen, you're going to have that but you need to know this. You can cheer up because you have two things you can say and then end it with this. You ready? 
the first one, Mikran, right? What does Mikran mean? You tell me. Yeah, it means tiny, right? It means little. That's our point, right? In the beginning of it all, you need to know no matter what it is you're going to go through, it's still, it's just a moment. It's just going to pass. Now, it doesn't have to feel like it's going to pass, but it's going to pass. The second one, in cosmos. Try that. In cosmos. In, by the way, means in. Cosmos means the world. You need to know this is only happening here. It's not going to happen elsewhere. It's just happening here. First of all, it's a little while. Second of all, it is only going to happen here. Those are very good. That's good news, isn't it? The last one, I'm going to give you one more word. Ready? Nike. Well, Nikao. It's where they get the word. Does anyone know what it means? It means overcome. It's the word Jesus says here. He goes, look, it isn't that you won't have trouble, but you need to know, I've already won. You know how he won? Because he took every problem and weight and burden and sin and guilt and filth and nastiness of this world and he put it upon his own shoulders and then he nailed, he was nailed to a cross to die there and the best and the, 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 the nuclear bomb, the worst thing that the world and the devil had to offer was death. And Jesus took it all and he took it to the grave and he came out and he said, is that all you got? You understand, death is the ultimate thing because in the end of it all, what that means is you get up from the table. Death says you're done. Death says this is it. And all the money you earned and all the stuff you've got, you don't take with you. There was a time when one of the richest men that ever lived was a man named Howard Hughes. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He became a crazy recluse. But he was the one who, in essence, had designed a lot of the large jets that we still fly today. He had made one out of spruce, by the way. Like the wood. He called it the spruce goose. And he like was super, super freaked out by germs. But in the end of it, when he died, he left a phenomenal amount of money behind. And they asked his, his accountant at the end of it all, and he was kind of a, kind of a cheeky fellow, and they asked him, how much did he leave behind? Yeah, the media asked him, and he said, well, what do you mean, how much? He left it all. I actually like that answer. You see, death says to a person who's avoiding the God who owns and lives in heaven, death says all the good stuff you have has an end to it. It has an expiration date. It expires on this day. You just don't know what the day is. You can't read it. It's too small to actually see the, the label on it. But it says you're going to be done. And when you are, none of this is going to matter. They will auction off your genes. It doesn't matter what it is you have. Because this world and all that's in it is passing away. That's what John tells us. He goes, look at Are you going through a hard time right now? Could we pray? First of all, Lord, Mikonon, put that in my heart. It's just a blip. Second, in cosmos, it's in this world. Not forever, just here. And third, Nikao, you already won. You've already conquered all this. And when you rose again, you offer me new life. Not just an end to all of those things, but a hope in a world so much better than this that doesn't end. Where there is none of this. No more pain. No more suffering. No more pushing. No more pressure. No more 
council taxes and no more, you know, well, do you stay in the country? Can you stay in the country or not? No more Brexits or not Brexits and no more people arguing over politics and no more trying to share Jesus with someone and they refer to the weather. You know, no more indigestion. You know, no more... You know, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. rush hour, hoping you fit and cram into the can so that everyone else, so you can get to your place. You know, in all those things, none of those things. And those are just small things in comparison. No more of that overshadowing, overhanging dread that comes with knowing this stuff is temporary. And we can look and go, yeah, there's stuff out there that we could enjoy, and He gives us all things to enjoy, but yet. None of this compares in every grieving moment and every heavy thing says he's overcome. He's already won this. He has won this. And if you accept the gift of Jesus Christ, so have you. Now we have to get our head and hearts out of it and stop thinking this is... stop. In essence, think of it this way. Jesus has already given you the rescue from the Titanic. Stop pretending like this is going to make it to the other side. Because it's not. Now, does that sound doom and gloom? Yeah, if you're somebody that actually hasn't accepted Jesus. But you can look at everyone, and once that thing hits the iceberg, you can look at each other and go, one day we're all going to agree on this. I would prefer you agree now. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for this beautiful text and the challenges that are laid out in it. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've made so clear You've made so clear, Lord, that there are problems in this world and there are challenges in this world. And, and they're, they're there. There's no doubt about it. But you've also promised us that you're faithful. And God, I just want to pray right now for every one of us that we would actually reconcile those areas, those things that seem like they're dragging on forever and it's a sin issue and it's a challenge, it's a thing, whatever it is, God, that somehow in all of this we're like, when will this end? And we know even as we look at Hugo and Deb's video and they are, they've waited months to take a driving test they thought they would be able to do within a month and if for them it seems like forever. And yet for us, we know it's been a couple months because we're out of the circumstances, so we're not experiencing the same thing that they did. But for them, it seems like forever. It's their context. And there are situations in our life, Lord, that they feel like forever, but they're not forever. And I love the fact that there is, in every challenge we experience, every challenge... that every challenge we experience is temporary... Every blowing wind that is challenging the integrity of the house. Every falling rain, every rising flood. Every unseen storm. That there is a brighter day coming because you are faithful. And great is your faithfulness. And I just pray if there's anyone who has yet to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. You may not have understood a lot of this. And I know that the easy thing to do is to turn to someone else and say, what in the world? But that you would instead turn right now to Jesus and say, what is it I need to know right now? And I know what he'd tell you. 
that He loves you and He wants you and He died for you on the cross and rose again to give you new life. But that's the choice you need to make. The greatest overcoming to take death to the grave and to leave it there as you walk out. And I just pray, if that's you, pray this prayer with me right now. God, I'm a sinner and that sin makes me guilty before you. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me so that all my sin could be punished. And when he died, my bill died with him. And when he rose again, you offer me new life. So, I say yes. I take your offer, your payment for me, and I hand my life to you. Give me eternity and start it now. I'm yours. Father in heaven, adopt me as your own. And by your Holy Spirit, let me be born again. In Jesus' name.